everyone. Hey, Abby. Hey, Lisa. And we're back. Kind of, for a mini-season. That's right. We just couldn't help ourselves. Had to come back on assignment. On assignment. The deadline for the DuPont Columbia Awards is coming up on Friday, July 1st. Some of you might know this, but the DuPonts are one of the highest honors in journalism. And every year, Lisa and I get to watch and listen to some of the best pieces of public service reporting around. So, in celebration of that, we decided to go behind the scenes with a couple of our DuPont winners. It's a departure from our usual programming. Abby and I had short conversations with these folks to find out where they started and then asked them what they would tell themselves if they could go back in time. This episode features Nicole Young. She's a 60 Minutes producer who has won three DuPont Awards. She's also the senior producer for CBS News anchor and managing editor Scott Pelley, who just celebrated his fifth anniversary in the anchor chair. Yeah, I saw that. It's very, very exciting. She has had an amazing career. She covered stories all of which won DuPont Awards, the use of sarin gas by the Assad regime in Syria. That was the most recent DuPont. She won another one for CBS's Newtown coverage. I know that was an incredibly tough, long-term project of hers. And then she was on the team for a third DuPont winner, The Blowout, about the Deepwater Horizon spill, which is now being made into a feature film. I wonder who will play her. I'm just kidding. Anyway, I had a chance to catch up with Nicole in her office at CBS News, uh, Midtown Manhattan, and it was really fun. Is there a moment, is there a story that you were curious or passionate about that really brought you into this business? Yes, it's so interesting that that's the first question you ask um, because um, it's it's kind of coming full circle for me um, in in the next few weeks. Uh, the reason why I wanted to be a journalist, essentially, was because I wanted to be a humanitarian first. And so I remember when I was younger and seeing images of famine coming out of Ethiopia and Somalia, it just made me realize, like, that can't be possible. And I had this craving, this desire, this hunger, lack of a better word, to go out there and see that for myself because not enough people are seeing this. So that was really the beginning, the very beginning. And as I've gone on through my career, I've really tried to do stories that have, be, that have been epic stories of human struggle, all because of what I had first noticed back when I was a teenager. Um, I still can't believe that there are people who still have those pictures that I saw so many years ago with distended bellies. And so in two weeks, I'm embarking on a story with Scott Pelley where I'm going to South Sudan. And we're working with the team of people and the med- medical groups on the ground and the organizations who are helping to fight off famine in a country where two million plus people are starving to death, literally starving to death. And so it's amazing that this is the story, I guess, essentially, I've been waiting my entire life to do mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm finally going to get to do. Is it at all discouraging for you as, as a journalist to think, uh, you know, 20 years ago or however many years ago I was watching these same pictures, I'm going to go report on the same thing? Is there any hope for this? I do believe outlets and organizations should be more committed to spending the time and sending their resources and their people to still cover stories like this. Because if I, we're still having the same conversation 20 years, especially in the same region, speaking about the same people, as journalists, we're not doing our job. Mm-hmm. Well, so discouraging, yes, but uh, it makes me want to go even more. That's great. So I guess uh, looking back at that person, however many years ago that embarked on this career, if you could talk to her now, what would you tell her? What would 
Do you have some words of advice? Um, my 13-year-old self would never believe uh, her 38-year-old self. I'm, um, I, my dream, my, my actual life is greater than what I dreamt my life could actually be. I wasn't supposed to be the girl who sat next to you being interviewed on a podcast. Single parent home. Um, you know, my mom worked hard, you know, to make sure that we had basics. Latchkey kid. Um, I didn't know anybody. I knew I had passion. I knew I had um, tenacity. And I knew that I wouldn't let myself fail. That was pretty much all I had. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know where I was going to go. I just knew I was going to be something. And that everything that I was doing that I thought was, you know, beneath all of my mother's efforts was just a moment. It was just something, it was just a stepping stone from the waitressing to the serving food to the jobs in the backs of rooms, you know, writing numbers on cue cards when while no one saw me. I knew those were all temporary positions. I would tell my 13-year-old self that you really are going to make it. It's not just a dream. That's great. Sounds like you, at 13, had the advice that you needed. I would tell myself to stop being so critical. I would tell my 13-year-old self that you're you're more confident than you probably think you are, that you're smarter than you think you are, that you're prettier than you think you are. Um, my advice to those who don't have that kind of self inner, that inner voice, don't give up on yourself so easily just because someone else t- says no to you for an opportunity or a position that you think is something that you'd so desperately want. Mm-hmm. Um, so y- it, because the fight is, it's, suppo- it's meant to be a long road. And I think that's something that um, I kind of came to terms with at a very young age that I think I always have to remind people then the road's long. It's meant to be long. It's okay. Right. I know you came to talk to my class this semester, and that was one of the very useful things that you said to them. Um, Is there a question that you ask in your interviews or that you prep Scott with in his interviews that you feel is like the no-fail that always, that more likely than not, gets you something you can use? You know, that's a very interesting question um, because the answer is no. And that's because um, it's not so much the questions I give Scott before the interview, it's always the questions that we follow up with because we're listening to what they're answering in the interview. And we've always gotten our best moments when we've done that. Um, One particular example is when um, Scott and I were doing our Hard Times Generation story. And uh, it was about homeless kids in Florida. Um, I had interviewed hundreds and hundreds of students and we narrowed down about 45 to 50. And one of the moments that ended up in the piece that I didn't write that question for, but that became the most organic thing because we listened, was when Scott asked, have your lights ever been turned out because your parents haven't been able to pay the bills? And every student raised their hand. And kids started talking to us about all these different creative ways on how they, I'll sit in the car and let the car light. I'll light candles. Uh, I'll work under the light of a flashlight. These are children now talking about how they do their schoolwork in America with no electricity on. We didn't actually have the question. We listened to them. And that's the muscle in interviewing that so many people forget. It's not. It's the follow-up. The follow-up. It's the follow-up question. When you're listening to their answer, you'll know exactly what you need to ask them. That's great advice. That's really great advice. And uh, my final question is about sources, because I think... So many of our students, and I think young journalists everywhere, 
find it difficult to understand how to start, how to cultivate sources, how to know, um, how to build up a, a group of people that you can turn to when you need information. What's your advice on cultivating sources? You know, n now looking at my career 14 years on uh, with Scott at 60 Minutes, it's it's really a lot, it's a, it's a game of patience and it's a game of um, being really loyal. You're growing up you, as journalists with a group of people who are going to grow with you. So they may not seem important to you now or they may not seem to have something that is an immediate offer for you. But in three or four or five years, that person is now the second in command to the person who's going to get you the interview with the president or the interview with a president or the interview with somebody who was just convicted because they just graduated law school and their law firm is, you know, uh, everybody is valuable. Never think that someone's not valuable to you and always treat people with value. And so it's a long game. There's no source I met yesterday that if hell and brimfire happened today, that they're going to pick up the phone and for me. It's the person who was there 10 years before me, who has cultivated a relationship, who they're going to pick up the phone for. Thank you very much, Nicole Young, producer at 60 Minutes, for Scott Pelley, who is the anchor of CBS Evening News, and a correspondent here at 60 Minutes. Thank you so much. Thank you. it for this episode. Listen next week for another part of this mini-series. And don't forget to enter your best reporting on any platform but audiovisuals are key for the DuPont Awards at dupontawards.org. On Assignment is produced by Asta Chaturvedi with production assistance from Erica Glass. And thanks to our engineer, A.J. Mangone. Hear all our episodes at our website, onassignmentpodcast.org, and find us on Twitter. Until next time, everybody, 